Now, before we proceed with this episode, I do have something important that I need to share with everybody. As you guys know, about two years ago, I did a sketch comedy show called The Going Live Show. And while I was on the show, I worked with a very talented cast and became friends with practically every cast member on the show. And one friend that I had in particular, her name was Tata Sharice. Now, if you watch the Going Live show, you know who Tata is. She was basically um, the public defender. That was her uh, main gimmick on the uh, show. That was the main character she played, and she did that quite a few times. And if you saw the um, Hood Exorcist sketch, uh, she played the mother in the sketch. Like, I played the, uh, the priest that was trying to, you know, get the demon out of her son in the sketch. Uh, she played the mom and I played the priest going, the power of Christ compels you. Like that was me. Well, sadly, this past Christmas Eve, uh, Tata Sharice was carjacked at gunpoint while coming home from a comedy show. Now, the good news is she is not hurt physically. The bad news is her car was stolen and the merchandise that she sells after shows was stolen as well. And she currently has a GoFundMe page set up to help her raise the money that she needs to get a new car and order more merch so she can, you know, get back to selling merch and get out there performing. And what I'm going to do is I am going to read the synopsis of her GoFundMe page to further illustrate what she's looking for rather than try to paraphrase phrase it. So this is on her GoFundMe page. Hey y'all, so I got carjacked. I'm no stranger to obstacles or overcoming tough times, but what recently happened to me was something I really wasn't prepared for. I was carjacked at gunpoint by two men on Christmas Eve coming home from a show. Comedy is now the majority of my income, so my car was very important to me because it's how I get to most shows. Also, all of my Tata Sharice merchandise was in the trunk of my car, which is another big part of my income. I'm blessed to be alive. I do about five to 10 shows a month and I'm really grinding. I don't plan to give up at all, but I'm creating this GoFundMe to help speed things up so I can get back to doing what I love and bring joy to others. Anything that anybody can contribute would be greatly appreciated and used to go towards a car and to replace my merchandise that I sell at shows. I appreciate the support and my spirit has not been broken. Thank you for the love that people have already showed me and anything further helps. I just entered year six of my stand-up comedy career and it has been an incredible journey. I've hit amazing milestones and so far I've performed in over 200 shows non-stop, but I can't let this situation slow me down. And as I mentioned before, Tata Sharice is a friend of mine. I've worked with her before. She is hilariously funny and a tremendous talent. And I am encouraging all of the Boochcast fans to donate money to Tata Sharice's GoFundMe to help her get back on her feet, get back on the road, and get back to doing what she does best. So from now until the GoFundMe page is completed, I am going to be putting the link to her GoFundMe page on every single Boochcast episode going forward inside the synopsis so you can use it to go there and do whatever you can to help her out. I will also be providing links on the Boochcast social media pages so you can access them there as well. So go to the link, donate what you can, and help Tata Sharice get back to bringing joy and laughter to the world. So just how far down do you want to go? Well, we could talk it out over a cup of joe. And you could look deep into my eyes like I was a supermodel.
What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to the recap of AEW. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, I am all by myself. Prefer to be all by myself on the Boochcast. And the reason I'm all by myself is because earlier today, uh, while speaking with Gator Ricky Ross, he informed me that he had to go to work tonight because he had to once again do a late night class with the children. And of course, by the children, we mean the next generation of wrestlers that Gator is training to be in the business. He is trying to give them the proper training so we can hopefully have a generation of wrestlers who actually know how to fucking work and stop doing all the silly, stupid, phony bullshit that we see in modern wrestling today. And a lot of it we definitely saw on this AEW card. So sadly, Gator will not be joining me this week. Now... Hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, he'll be here next week. We hope he'll be here next week. I got my fingers crossed. I hope he's here next week. I got my fingers crossed. I got my fingers crossed. Cross, cross, crossed. But it's okay, ladies and gentlemen. We will soldier on through this episode. Now, before we get into this AW recap, which I'm almost certain is not going to take very long. I know I've said that a million times and I haven't really meant it, but there's a good chance... This week, I'm going to fucking mean it. But before we get to that, I do need to uh, give a shout out here and an acknowledgement on what happened uh, earlier today or yesterday at the time that you're listening to this uh, episode. Unfortunately, we had to deal with the passing of 
WWE Hall of Famer, The Iron Sheik. One of the greatest of all time. Definitely one of the greatest heels to ever step foot inside a wrestling ring. The only Iranian champion in WWE history when he was the WWE champion in 1983 before eventually dropping the title uh, to Hulk Hogan and helping to usher in the Hulkamania era in WWE. He was also a former uh, WWE tag team champion with Nikolai Volkov. I believe they won the titles at the very first WrestleMania. Either that or they defended them. Uh, yes, they won the titles at the first WrestleMania. And also he was a regular on uh, the radio uh, with Kid Chris and also the Howard Stern Show. He was featured on the Howard Stern Show a lot. In fact, a lot of the uh, cast and characters from the Howard Stern Show, some alumni and some that are still currently working with Howard Stern, also paid their respects to the Iron Sheik. He also was a very gifted uh, Greco-Roman wrestler. Uh, he competed for a spot on the Iranian team for the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City. He later moved to the United States and became the assistant coach of two U.S. Olympic squads in the 70s. In 71, he was the Amateur Athletic Union Greco-Roman Wrestling Champion and gold medalist at 180.5 pounds. So he was 180.5. He later became an assistant coach to the USA team for the 1972 Olympic Games in Munich. So he's also got some amateur wrestling history. Now, obviously, this is different from Kurt Angle, who did freestyle wrestling, which is a whole other type of wrestling. But uh, the Iron Sheik, still one of the all-time greats, trained by Vern Gagne and Billy Robinson. Um, sadly, he passed away in uh, Fayetteville, Georgia, at the age of 81. Very, very gifted, talented wrestler. Performed for uh, the WWE, Jim Crockett Promotions, Mid-South, Florida, Georgia Championship Wrestling. He has definitely been a legend in this business. Even had a little bit of a run in WCW. Um, I mean, the Iron Sheik is definitely one of the all-time greats. And also, he's more known uh, for his uh, vulgar language and a lot of the uh, rants that he goes on where he's like, you know, they fuck you, I say fuck the Hulk Hogan, I say fuck the Ebola, I say uh, Ultimate Warrior, you're a no good motherfucker. Sheiky baby, number one. And he would do all crazy shit like that. And he would also say things like, you know, I, I break your back, I fuck your ass, I make you humble. But he would do crazy shit like that. And of course, you know, Elvis loved to uh, do a quote from the Iron Sheik where he would go, Fucking bullshit! So, you know, the Iron Sheik was definitely um, somebody that, if you watched wrestling in the old school days, the territory days, and the early 80s, you knew the Iron Sheik and you were a fan of him on some level. Um, but whether you were a fan of him through wrestling or a fan of him through the Howard Stern Show or from his Twitter page, which is one of the most popular Twitter pages on the planet, or I should say used to be, because obviously we're not going to see a whole lot of uh, tweets from the Iron Sheik unless whoever was managing his Twitter page wants to continue tweeting for him, which I'm not 100% certain that would be in good taste or not. That might be in bad taste. I don't know. It, it depends, I guess, on um, how fans interpret that. But either way, much love to the Iron Sheik. And uh, obviously my uh, our thoughts and prayers here from the Boochcast uh, go out to the Iron Sheik's family, uh, his wife, his kids, as they're dealing with this uh, you know difficult time. Because even though the Iron Sheik was 81 and his death apparently was natural causes, you know he didn't get in an accident, he didn't die of a drug overdose, it wasn't alcoholism, it was natural causes. Um, so that's at least one positive we can find in all this. 
Chelsea. This wasn't a, a major tragedy death. It was just, um, you know, old age, you know? He, he got old, his, you know, body couldn't go anymore, and he passed away. And from what we uh, can gather, unless some new information comes to light, which could happen, um, he died peacefully. And at least that's one positive we can get out of all of this. But regardless, it's still emotionally tough for family members to lose a loved one. So we do hope that uh, they stay strong during this uh, difficult time. And um, uh, if you guys get a chance, make sure you watch some uh, classic Iron Sheik moments. <laughs> uh, if you need a, a refresher course on the Iron Sheik or if you're feeling nostalgic for the Iron Sheik. And I'm sure at some point down the road uh, during the classic pay-per-view reviews, we'll have a pay-per-view that featured the Iron Sheik. And if we do, I'm sure uh, we'll talk more about the Iron Sheik on that one. And I may even give Gator an opportunity to share his thoughts on the Iron Sheik and his passing assuming we're not able to do it next week. So I just wanted to make sure I said my piece. And before I officially transition from this to the AEW recap, I will tell one quick Iron Sheik story. Just because I heard this story told by Jim Cornette, I don't have a personal Iron Sheik story because I never met the guy. But um, Cornette said one time that uh, the Iron Sheik was at a bar and he's sitting on a stool and you know he was drinking and everything. At one point he gets up and he goes to the bathroom. Well, Apparently, while he was in the bathroom, some lady came in and sat in his stool, in his seat. So the Iron Sheik says, you know, I walk over to the to the bar. I see the lady in my stool. I'm like, excuse me, you're sitting in my stool. You must leave. I am the Iron Sheik. You must leave. She tells Sheik to fuck off. I said, you don't understand. I'm the Iron Sheik. I'm former WWF champion. You're sitting in my stool. She tells Sheik to fuck off. I grab the fucking bitch. I hit her with the short clothesline. She fall down off the stool. She go boom. And as he's walking away, he goes, Vata cunt. <laughs> and Cornette said that when he heard that story, he actually had a t-shirt made that said Vata cunt. And it was basically B-O-T-A-K-O-N-T. Vata cunt. <laughs> Even though he was trying to say what a cunt. But in his accent, it sounded like Vata cunt. And I just thought that was hilarious. So that was an Iron Sheik story uh, that I heard. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, without any further ado, uh, we're going to jump in here to the recap of AEW. God help us all. Uh, and we're going to kick things off here with our first official match of the evening for the AEW International Championship. Orange Cassidy defends the title against Swerve Strickland with the Mogul Embassy. Okay. This match is just like every other Orange Cassidy match there is. You've seen one, you've seen them all, it's not impressive. And I will say this, and a lot of fans are not going to like what I'm about to say right now, but I'm going to say it anyway. This match was way too fucking long. I'm sorry, but it was. And the reason I hate the fact that it was so long was because it's the opening match. The opening match should never be the longest match on the show, and it should never go that fucking long, you know? And there's this problem in wrestling today, and it's a debate that I've had with Desmond a few times, and it's a pattern that I'm noticing, is that a lot of times in modern wrestling, especially in AEW, there is this obsession where every match has to be long in order to be great, or in order to be a classic, or in order to satisfy the fans. Everybody has romanticized and become desensitized to seeing extremely long matches. A match doesn't have to be that long to be great, 
first of all. And second of all, the only match that should be the that should be really, really long is the main event. Because that's supposed to be the match that everyone's paying money to see. Now, granted, in AEW, since they don't have a lot of big stars, they just have wrestlers. The main event doesn't really matter because there's very few people in this company that actually draw money. Because AEW is a company that pretty much, for the most part, sells itself. Because again, the people who are watching this have more hatred for Vince McMahon than they do love for AEW. And we're gonna and I'm gonna explain more about that a little later in this recap. And also, because once again, Orange Cassidy won. So if Orange Cassidy was going to win again, like he has every week, what is the point in making these matches long? And not only that, the only thing that was exciting about this match was the fact that they created doubts that Orange Cassidy was gonna retain. For a moment, it looked like Swerve Strickland was actually gonna win. And to be honest, he should have. In fact, the only two positives I'll say about this match is the fact that at one point, uh, Orange Cassidy went for some kind of roll-up pin and he went to go grab the other leg to hook it, but because of his injured hand, he wasn't able to grab it. He kind of shook his hand in pain, like trying to shake the pain off, and Strickland kicked out. Orange Cassidy displaying psychology, something you don't fucking see often. And the other positive was the fact that when Orange Cassidy finally did win, it was it was because he was grabbing the tights and rolling out towards Strickland. So you can maybe, maybe set something up for a future show or pay-per-view or, or build a program where these guys can have another match and hopefully Orange Cassidy can finally lose this fucking title because this is fucking embarrassing that Orange Cassidy is literally one of your longest reigning dominant champions is fucking sad. And then of course afterwards, the Mogul Embassy attacks Cassie, the lights go out, when they come back on, Sting and Darby Allen are standing in the ring. Once again, they are putting this trio together and this is such a decline for Darby Allen. It really is. Especially when Darby Allen was improving so much. He was being taken seriously as a top babyface. And now he's back down the ladder doing his goofy shit and hanging out with fucking pockets. And Sting being involved in this makes it even sadder. I love Sting. I've been a fan of Sting since I was a kid. But he deserves so much better than this raggedy bullshit. And then, of course, we see a video package uh, highlighting the feud between Jay White and Ricky Starks. They're, of course, going to face off in the main event. Nothing really interesting to see here. Then there was a video package showing Brian Danielson uh, challenging Okada. And apparently we have now confirmed that for Forbidden Door, it's going to be Brian Danielson one-on-one against Okada. Now, apparently for some people, this is a fucking dream match. This is the first I'm hearing of this dream match scenario. So that's why I get annoyed whenever they say something's a dream match. Because how can it be a dream match when I've literally never heard it in any conversations? And this is somebody who is on the internet. I go on the dirt sheets. I look at the comment sections. I'm on Twitter. I'm on the fucking groups. I get, I see posts from Facebook and Twitter groups all the time talking about wrestling. And I have never been involved in any chat where I've heard people say, I would love to see Brian Danielson versus Okada. I have never heard that conversation anywhere. Not even when he was in WWE did I hear these discussions. Now, I'm not saying the match won't be great. I don't have a lot of hope because, you know, Okada's one of those strong style, no-sell, you know, indie jackasses. Uh, Brian Danielson, on the other hand, is a wrestling god. So I'm hoping he can make magic with Okada and maybe get him to fucking work. But time will tell. Either way, I'm going to see it at Forbidden Door. And it makes sense because it's supposed to be an AEW New Japan kind of thing. So it's kind of cool to see Brian Danielson and Okada going to be able to face off. And it makes sense, and it helps, because 
You know, you want Brian Danielson on the card because he's a top guy in AEW. Uh, Okada, as much as I can't stand him, is a top guy in New Japan. So this type of match, this type of battle makes sense. Now, whether or not it's going to main event, time will tell. But if you don't have a match that's bigger than that, that's pretty much going to headline the fucking show. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We have ourselves a six-man match. We have from the Blackpool Combat Club, John Moxley, Claudio Castanoli, and Wheeler Useless versus Chaos, Trent Beretta, Chucky Taylor, and Rocky Romero. This was basically a beatdown match where the Blackpool Combat Club was beating the shit out of everybody. And of course, you know, that's the only reason to even watch the Blackpool Combat Club, to watch them fuck shit up. And they fucked these goofy, comedy, whack motherfuckers up, and it was beautiful. Watching that stupid moonsault and seeing Claudio uppercut Trent was beautiful. Um, Moxley putting the bulldog choke on uh, Romero, and then of course Wheeler Useless, you know, hitting the knee and the multiple elbow strikes to Chucky e. T was funny because the one guy in the Chaos Best Friends group that I can't stand, Chucky e. T, and the one guy in the Blackpool Combat Club that I can't stand, Wheeler Useless, were kind of fighting each other, which I liked. And of course Moxley gets the tap out victory, and the Blackpool Combat Club continue to dominate as well they should because they are the baddest faction in AEW. They proved that at Anarchy in the Arena, and all these guys deserve the pushes that they're getting. Now, whether or not we're going to see the rest of these guys at Forbidden Door remains to be seen. I don't know who these guys would face necessarily. I know Moxley competed at last year's Forbidden Door, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he took on, uh, I believe he took on Take a Shitta. If I'm not mistaken, I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna try to pull that up so I can see what's going on here. But I believe he took him on. Let me double check here. No, it was Tanahashi. No, it wasn't Take a Shitta. It was Tanahashi. Now I remember. Yeah. Sorry, my uh, memory escaped me on that one. But either way, I'm intrigued to see uh, where they go from here. The Blackpool Combat Club is always fun. And like I said, Chaos got their asses kicked, which is what should happen because all three of these guys. Well, no, I should say two out of the three guys here are a fucking joke. Trent Beretta, I look forward to the day he goes solo because I do believe he can be a potential, you know, star. Even if he can't become a star, at the very least, he can be a good Meg Carter. Chuck and Rocky, there's no hope for those jackasses. And on that note, we're going to skip the uh, backstage segment with the Elite because we don't talk about them. And we're going to get to the in-ring segment with MJF. MJF comes to the ring for a promo and insults the crowd. The AEW World Champion takes some shots at Colorado and calls it boring. <laughs> Thank God Shells wasn't listening to this. He says he knows all about being bored because there's no competition for him in AEW. MJF says nobody is on his level. Or on the level of the devil. Adam Cole interrupts. MJF cuts off his second boom. And says he's excited to have some worthy competition. He tells Cole he's a big fan. MJF cites the way CM Punk abandoned wrestling. And he thought his fandom of wrestling was in jeopardy. But he discovered Ring of Honor. MJF says he thought Ring of Honor sucked. As it was filled with indie jabronis. However he saw Cole and he was hooked. MJF describes how he studied Cole and watched him have a great career. MJF said he followed in Cole's footsteps. And he looked forward to having a great match with him someday. The champion questions Cole and asks what happened to him. He calls him the Panama Game Boy and mocks him for Twitch. MJF says Cole's balls are in Britt Baker's purse. He criticizes Cole's physique and says AEW has tried to make Cole cool. MJF lists his own accolades and wonders why Cole thinks he's any different. He says he heard Cole left WWE because Vince McMahon didn't think he had top guy potential and he agreed with him. 
Cole fires back by calling MJF a douchebag. It says MJF can't touch him. He says he's all natural, but he implies MJF is not, as he says they could go take a pee test, but MJF wouldn't want to do that. Cole tells MJF no one respects him as he's lazy, conceited, and he does the bare minimum. MJF tells Cole that was tough talk for him, seeing as how he's Keith Lee's manager. Cole calls MJF a coward and says he's better than MJF. MJF gets fired up and says he'll face Cole any day of the week and beat his ass. Cole says it looks like they have them themselves a match and he drops the mic and leaves this was a stellar in-ring segment because we saw something here that we don't see often in fact we may have seen it one other time probably maybe with cm punk where mjf got verbally assaulted in a promo and actually, now that I think about it, I think Ricky Starks did the same thing. So now Adam Cole can add his name to the list with CM Punk and Ricky Starks about being one of the few guys in this company that can out-talk MJF in a promo. Now, whether MJF was holding back for the sake of this feud, I don't know. This definitely was not one of MJF's best promos. But either way, it was good. Some of the lines he had were good. Like, I like the fact that he said... Ring of Honor sucked and was filled with indie jabronis because I'll tell you right now, he's not lying. Back in 2014, I watched Ring of Honor for an entire year. Those of you that followed the Boochcast back when we were on Blog Talk Radio, when we used to stream live in the afternoon and take calls and all that stuff, if you remember that time period, you know during that time, I had some recaps of Ring of Honor. I watched Ring of Honor on TV. I, had, I would go to the Ring of Honor website to look up the episodes, and I would check them all out. I went to at least one or two live Ring of Honor wrestling events. So I went to see Ring of Honor live. I became a Ring of Honor fan. But I was only able to make it for a year before eventually I had to tap out because I realized Ring of Honor was filled with indie jabronis. And it's where I got to see the Young Bucks and Kenny for the first time. And it's where my hatred for these guys originated from, was watching them in Ring of Honor. And the stupid, silly shit that they did, the unoriginal personas that they have, I saw them as the true embarrassments to this company that they are or as I now like to refer to them as the cancer cells because they're truly cancerous to professional wrestling, not just AEW. But yeah, so I'll admit, I used to be a Ring of Honor fan. I tried it for a year, couldn't take it. The Panama Game Boy was a good line because Adam Cole does do a lot of Twitch gaming and that is a major thing that he loves to do. Um, the balls in Britt Baker's purse, that wasn't a very good line because Adam Cole has never really been a doormat in his relationship with Britt. I've never seen that happen. I haven't seen a scenario where it looked like Britt Baker was the badass and Adam Cole was hiding behind her skirt. That hasn't happened, to my knowledge. Now, of course, the physique and what happened to him, those were also good lines because Adam Cole obviously doesn't have a great physique. He used to, but he doesn't. It's kind of sad. And, of course, he referenced the whole um, you know, steroid thing while trying to talk about that, implying that MJF's on steroids. I don't think he is because I know steroids are serious in professional wrestling now. You're not allowed to take them. And I don't think Tony Khan would allow any of his wrestlers to take them. And that if somebody was on them, he would have to put some type of drug policy in place. 
Otherwise, it will kill the PR for the company. But also, you know, Adam Cole has not been the same Adam Cole that he was in NXT. And that's the truth. The guy who led the Undisputed Era, the guy who was the, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the first ever North American champion. Uh, also, the former NXT champion, a guy who was the Iron Man of NXT. Him and the Undisputed Era ran rough shot all over that company. It was great. They were great. Adam Cole comes to AEW, and instead, he's fucking around with the Bucks when he first comes in so he immediately gets lost in the sauce they don't do anything special with him he eventually does get to a point where he can stand on his own two feet you know minus uh you know having roddy with him roger strong but the type of push that adam cole is getting now he should have got when he first walked in so adam cole really has not done well in AEW. i'm hoping that this feud will change that and i also like the fact that he got mjf to wrestle on free tv because apparently next week on dynamite they're going to have a one-on-one match. It's going to be non-title, but it's going to be a one-on-one match. So Adam Cole was able to get MJF to wrestle on free TV, which is something that MJF said he would never do because you have to pay to see me because I'm a star, because I'm the champion. I have the triple B, baby. I don't wrestle on TV every week because I'm not a fucking Mark. Well, Adam Cole convinced MJF to have a Mark moment and wrestle next week. So this is going to be good. And the fact that he said Vince McMahon said he didn't have top guy potential again, that was another way to trigger the audience because they hate Vince McMahon and the whole Keith Lee's manager which was the rumor or the story that they were going to pitch to have him be Keith Lee's manager on the main roster and that wasn't going to work for Adam Cole because he wanted to wrestle and be a main event guy which he should be he had no business being Keith Lee's fucking manager because Adam Cole in NXT was that damn good and I believe if Adam Cole had gone to the main roster he could have made something of himself and who knows maybe someday he'll go back to WWE and he'll be able to uh be a top guy there you know you never say never but overall this segment was fantastic and adam cole getting the better of mjf was was great this was a truly a great segment leading to a great match that will take place next week and then we cut to the backstage area with the hardys and isaiah cassidy matt introduces new employee ethan page matt says page owes cassidy an apology for his injured neck and everything they shake hands matt tells ethan he wants to turn him into a better human being and they just have to get rid of his ego Cassidy says this will be fun and then makes some weird moaning noise that was creepy. This is going to be good because now Matt Hardy gets to tell Ethan what to do instead of Ethan telling Matt what to do. This is fucking karma. So now Matt says he wants to make him a better human being. This is a moment, ladies and gentlemen, where I wish Matt Hardy was broken, where he was broken Matt because if Matt Hardy could use his broken brilliance, he would be able to take the page of Ethan and delete his ego in the best place to delete an ego would be to take Ethan Page to the lake of reincarnation. Yes. And we could place him inside the lake and he would be reborn. A better human being. We can cleanse the soul that exists in that current vessel. But instead, Matt's just going to be normal and this segment's probably not going to get a lot of attention and not be interesting. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. Dear God, it is a Texas Tornado tag team match. We have the team of Jungle Hook, which is apparently their name. Jungle Boy Jack Perry and Hook versus La Faction Ingobernable. Whatever the fuck they're called. This is a weird-ass fucking name. Jalistico and Preston Vance with Jose the assistant. This match was 
violent, brutal, and had a lot of botches. One in particular was Hook suplexing Vance through the table. Because only one table broke, the other one didn't. It looked like someone was going to fucking die. Vance is busted open and bleeding all over himself on TV. Now look, I've said this before and I will say it again. I am not against blood in wrestling. I do, however, think blood should be used to either further a story or be saved for a major match of major importance. This is neither one of those things. I don't see this rivalry continuing. Now, if it is, okay, then the blood might be fine. But you don't waste blood like this on free TV. That's a problem. This is the shit you do in a major match on a pay-per-view because they just had a Texas Tornado tag team match. Where the fuck does this go from here? I'm serious. Where is this going from here? Are Jungle Boy and Hook going to continue to feud with these guys? Are they going to lead to singles matches? Are they going to continue to fuse a tag team? If this feud continues, what's it going to lead to? Seriously, Jungle Boy just made Jolistico tap out to the snare trap. So really, there's no reason for this feud to continue. There's a tap out. It's over. I don't know what the fuck else you can do with this match. You can't. This feud is done, pretty much. If you drag it out at this point, you're just going to be boring as shit. Anyway, after that, we cut to the backstage area with Tony Khan, who, who has another announcement. He loves to have announcements. And he announces that the first main event of AEW Collision, which will take place on June 17th, will feature Jay White, Juice Robinson, and Samoa Joe versus CM Punk and FTR. Now, obviously, people in the crowd are excited for this. So not only is CM Punk coming back to AEW, not only are we going to see him on June 17th, but on top of all that, he is going to be wrestling. Now, CM Punk is not just coming back from a suspension. He's also coming back from injury. So a six-man tag is perfect because Punk doesn't have to get too physical. You can let FTR do the heavy lifting, you know, each of the guys. And then when, it, when the time is right, CM Punk can take the hot tag, come in like a house of fire. Now, the one thing that I love about this match is the fact that it's allowing the fans to get comfortable with the idea of CM Punk and FTR teaming up and being friends. Because obviously outside the ring, they're all friends. FTR, in particular Dax Harwood, has spoken very highly of CM Punk. He's been on Team Punk throughout their whole ordeal with the Elite, especially since FTR knows what it's like to get fucked by the EVPs because the Bucks fucked them over when they refused to drop the tag belts to them and instead gave it to Jungle Boy and fucking Luchasaurus. So obviously, having the three of them together makes sense. But also because the more comfortable we get with CM Punk and FTR as a team, the more likely it's going to be that in August at the All In show at Wembley Stadium, Wembley Arena, we're going to see CM Punk and FTR versus Kenny and the Bucks. Because that is definitely a match that needs to happen. Whether they have the six-man or Punk and Omega go one-on-one, -on -one, one of those things has to happen. And hell, I would say put FTR against the Bucks. Let them finally have the rubber match. Let FTR go over and cement them as the greatest tag team on the planet. Because they are. FTR is better than the Bucks. If you say anything different, you're out of your fucking mind. So I'm hoping it leads to that at All In. We get Punk and FTR versus Kenny and the Bucks. And I might just forego my elite rule to watch that match. Because Punk and FTR do need to go over in those matches. Whether they have the six-man or if they're in separate matches where FTR is in the tag match and Punk's one-on-one -on -one with Kenny. Punk and FTR need to go over regardless. So that's why the six-man looks really good and very promising. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening, if we even want to call it that. We got Take a Shitta with Don Callis versus Di Diamond Ace. 
This is basically a squash. And it needed to be. One thing I will say though is I was very impressed with Takeshita in this match. Because he didn't do a bunch of strong style bullshit. He basically dominated and beat the fuck out of this guy. And then hit his knee strike finish for the win. Then afterwards, Don Callis grabs the mic and says that he is still taking credit for Kenny Omega's success and he vows to cut the elite out of AEW and I will worship the ground Don Callis walks on if he's able to do that. But this, of course, brings up an issue that I have regarding Forbidden Door. Because so far, for Forbidden Door this year, there are two matches booked. Obviously, the first one that I mentioned was Brian Danielson versus Okada. But they also have here Kenny Omega defending the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. I forgot he even had this fucking belt. Against Will Ospreay. Okay, now apparently, this is a rematch from Wrestle Kingdom 17. So... I can understand that as far as, you know, this being an AEW New Japan joint promotion. I get it, okay? I fucking get it. You want to have the rematch on Forbidden Door. Here lies the problem. Right now, currently, Takeshita is a heel who betrayed his friendship with the Elite. He wasn't part of the Elite, he was just friends with them, and aligned with Don Callis. They're vowing to cut out the Elite. They're targeting... Kenny Omega. So here's my question. Why isn't Kenny Omega facing Take a Shitta at Forbidden Door? That should be the opponent for Kenny. He shouldn't be wasting his time with fucking Will Ospreay. It should be Kenny Omega versus Take a Shitta. Now, if you were going to have this Will Ospreay match, why not have Will Ospreay be the guy that aligns with Don Callis? Why not have him show up at Anarchy in the Arena and screw the Elite out of the match? Because then this would make more sense. Plus, nobody really gives a shit about Take a Shit. Will Osprey, on the other hand, even though I'm not a fan of his, a lot of the marks and the neckbeards in the crowd, they are fans. They do love Will Osprey. They do think he is a phenomenal wrestler, even though he's just another goddamn strong style no-sell spot monkey. But fans still love him. So why not have him with Don Callis? Because what are you going to do? What are you going to save this take a shit a match for? What is this going to be for All Out? Because it shouldn't be at All In. Kenny's match at All In needs to be Punk. And then at All Out, you can pick whoever you want for Kenny. But it wouldn't make sense. Unless you want to make the match on free TV and give it away. Like you give everything else away in this fucking company. It makes no sense. Why is take a shit involved if Kenny's not going to face him? This is a prime example, once again, of Tony Khan doing inconsistent booking. Just throwing out shit for the sake of throwing out shit. You can't pick a story and fucking stick with it. Because again, where are you dragging this out to? Because after Forbidden Door, you got all in and then all out. And if you put Kenny versus Takeshita at all in, you are giving a giant fuck you to those fans in the UK. And you're basically saying, we don't need to fill the stadium. We've sold enough tickets. You want to really pack the place? You book Kenny versus Punk, or Kenny and FTR versus the EVPs. And on that note, we cut to the backstage area with Christian Cage, who says R. Anderson cost him the TNT Championship a double or nothing. He says Anderson took something from him. Now it's time for Cage to take something from Anderson. Cage sees he got Arn an early present for Father's Day, and the camera shows Brock Anderson beaten up backstage. Well, there you have it. Brock Anderson got his ass kicked, so now Arn's going to be pissed, and it looks like Arn and Christian are going to have some type of feud. But here's the question. Can Arn Anderson still work? 
Now, when I say that, obviously I know that he has the in-ring psychology and the storytelling ability to work a match. The question is, physically, does he have any limitations? Like, does he have neck problems or a back problem or something that would prevent him from wrestling? Because if he can get in the ring and mix it up with Christian Cage, I would love to see it. Because I think both of them have enough psychology skill to put a match together and make it work. Otherwise, I don't see the point of this. Unless it's going to lead to... Arn Anderson giving Christian Cage another shot on Wardlow's behalf. And we see Christian and Wardlow face off at the next pay-per-view somewhere. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the TBS Championship. Chris Statlander defends the title against Anna JAS with Matt Menard. This match was... It was decent. It didn't suck. It wasn't epic either. It was a decent match. Uh, Chris Statlander, even though I was not happy with the fact that she walked out of double or nothing with a TBS title, she is definitely showing that she did a lot of training before she got back in the ring. Like, obviously, she's been uh, improving in the ring. She's improved her physique. Uh, I haven't seen her with a microphone, so I can't really judge her promos right now. But she has definitely gotten better. I wouldn't say she's one of the best female workers in the business, but she's at least able to work a match and not look silly. She was even able to make Anna look good to a degree. So I will say this match made my nipples hard. And not just because the girls are kind of hot. And also, Statlander hit a really good tombstone. And of course, Taya Valkyrie is shown watching backstage and she's upset. I don't blame her. You know, obviously she wants to be the TBS champion. So she's going to eventually have a match with Chris Statlander. But I'm hoping that, and I'm going to say this, they need to drag this out. Because Taya Valkyrie needs to win that title. But Chris Statlander needs to at least make it to a pay-per-view before she drops it. Whether it's at All In in Wembley or All Out, wherever the fuck that is. So in the meantime, I'm okay with Chris Statlander getting a couple wins under her belt and Taya kind of watching backstage and biding her time. And then we cut to uh, Tony Storm and Ruby Soho. Tony talks about um, her title match next week. She'll be facing the winner of a fatal four-way match that will take place on Rampage between uh, Britt Baker, I think it's uh, Sky Blue, uh, Mercedes Martinez, and Nyla Rose. Now, of those four women, if I was going to pick one to take the belt off of that ass, Tony Storm, it would be Mercedes Martinez. The fact that she hasn't been featured on TV a whole lot is goddamn ridiculous. She's a talented woman who looks badass and is actually credible as a women's wrestler. Unless they're afraid she'll outclass the indie darlings, there's no reason not to have her on TV. Britt Baker, if she gets the shot, she needs to lose because I don't want to see Britt Baker with the title anymore. Been there, done that, smoked it, humped it, called it an Uber. Sky Blue, she is definitely not deserving of being a women's champion. She shouldn't even be in this match. If she's in this match, it's to eat the pen. That's the only reason that bitch is in here. And of course, Nyla Rose. Do not want to see her with the title. Why? Y'all already know why. And on that note, we move on to the main event of the evening. We've got Jay White versus Ricky Starks. This, ladies and gentlemen, was a very good main event. These guys beat the shit out of each other. It was very well done, very entertaining, and the finish was good. Because if Jay White's going to win this fucking thing, personally I think Ricky Stark should have, it makes sense for the Rochambeau and the ref getting knocked down and distracted. But then you got the guns showing up to attack Starks, and then White hits the Blade Runner for the win. So now here's the question. Why are the guns getting involved in this match? Unless something happened between Ricky Starks and the guns that I don't remember... I think, I think the guns might have jumped Ricky Starks. I think 
a double or nothing, if I remember correctly, because uh, I think it's starting to come back to me. Um, there's really no reason for them to get involved unless they were the, unless that jump thing actually happened. But where would they go from here with this? And my question is, is Ricky Starks going to get a victory uh, to end this feud, or is the feud going to end with Jay White getting a win? If it is going to end with Jay White getting a win, my question is, why? Why would you do this to Ricky Starks, who is literally one of your top baby faces? is a guy that in time will be able to be a world champion that can carry the company on his back and yet you would have him lose like this to fucking Jay White who can't carry a tune let alone this company the guns I don't know what the future is with them like is Ricky Starr's gonna get a tag team partner to face the guns or is he gonna be by himself like he was with the Jay White Juice Robinson situation just none of this makes sense so like I said the only reason I like, I like the finish is because if Jay White's gonna win that's the way to do it but at the same time it makes no sense and also like i said outside of that this was a great main event in fact this was the match of the night it was the only match on the card that didn't involve a lot of stupid shit except for the guns getting involved so i hope they don't bury ricky starks i really don't i want to see what goes on with him and the guns i'm intrigued to see where that's going jy obviously we already know uh he's already teaming up with juice robinson and samoa joe to take on punk and ftr so unless they want him to look strong for that match which wouldn't make any fucking sense because we already know punk and ftr are winning let's be honest here there's no way that Jay, Juice, and Joe are winning on Collision. It's not going to happen on this planet or any other. Punk is just now coming back. You think they're not going to give him a win when he's back? I mean, come on now. All right, that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up uh, this recap of AEW. I thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at theboochcast. Get these tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel and check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, August the 5th for WWE SummerSlam. Make sure you join us for the biggest party of the summer. Also, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and another special project in the works. You can also support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the boochcast slash support become a supporter of the boochcast support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes we have three levels you can donate at pick the one that works the best within your budget we have our first level which is 99 cents one dollar per month we have our second level which is 4.99 five dollars per month the same amount of money you would pay for a peacock subscription i know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the peacock so don't give them money give us money we got better content than peacock anyway and we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold it to Peacock, got nowhere to put that $9.99. You take that $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content in the network, and unlike Endeavor, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option to pay with a credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment, we used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard.
hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believes they're to be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby. Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. A la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again. <laughs>